Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about uh, Carolus Lianus. Carlos Lianus, uh, the great scientist, Greece. sorry I can't pronounce him pretty well, um, but he's sort of the famous founder of botany, I suppose, might be the things. Uh, and, you know, lots of beautiful, beautiful stories associated with him. It's sort of interesting how Sweden um, got various Ørsted and various people, things were developing in Sweden. Um, sort of had this nice sort of northern backwater, I suppose, might be things. Let's read about him. From He's from uh, 1707 to 1778, so this is in that sort of beautiful um, pre, sort of the end, the, the end of the Renaissance and the beautiful Enlightenment and the um, French Empire and uh, uh, the age of empires before the French Revolution in 1796. And Australia was uh, found in 10 years later, or, or whites came there, so I think 1775, well no, 1770, is when um, uh, Cook discovered Australia and started to look at things. And it's interesting how botany is sort of like science science on a stick. Okay, sometimes known in Sweden as the Flower King, Carlos Leonis was the great 18th century botanist who devised a system of all scientists use today for classifying living things into species and classes in a two-part Latin name. In the 17th century, botanists and zoologists from Europe were just beginning to discover the incredible diversity of natural life in the world. Some were beginning to look at the plants and animals around them with a close interest inspired by the scientific revolution of the age. Others studied exotic plants and animals brought back from distant places in ships um, that ships were now visiting. Now, it's interesting, the ships visiting, we see that, but it's also the implosion of the great African empires we now know. The more botanists and zoologists looked at nature, or rather creation as they thought, uh, as it was often called, the more confusing its teeming range uh, seemed to them. When people wrote books or treatises on animals, there seemed to, uh, to be no other way to classify them but, but alphabetically, and there was no way to distinguish uh, the real from the mythical. Books on animals, or beasties, might begin with antelopes, move on to apes, and then to the Erephagus. Um I love this, and they had the ancient, the medieval books of beasts, wild and wonderful beasts. And the idea that uh, beasts were animals, they would say, burn the witch in prison, in prison the cat. Because you wouldn't hurt a cat, it was just a, a satanic cat. You know, so you, or you'd, you'd uh, interrogate a dog, or you'd speak to a horse. Um, so there was all these things, and then you'd get wild animals from around the thing, and then you'd say, well, it's time for you to have a fight. And so the royal royalties would sit there watching the royal beasts and the royal beasts would fight each other. Quite horrible. The first great attempt to sort out uh, the chaos was made by the English botanist John Ray, uh, 1672 to 1705. In 1671 Ray went on to an extensive specimen gathering trip through Europe 
with the zoologist friend Francis Willoughby. Unfortunately, Willoughby died shortly after the return, but Ray carried on their work. Ray came out with a scheme for classifying all plants and animals. Uh, his brief Methodist Planetarium provided the first definition of a species, a set of individuals who give rise to reproduction of a new individual similar to themselves. In Historia Planetarium, what the heck's going on there? So little frogs coming out in the rain. It's been raining here a lot. Um, Ray Cam uh, provided uh, the first. Okay, in his historic Plantarum, Ray for the first time grouped species scientifically according to their structure. That's an important aspect. Lyanus took up where Ray left off to create a definitive system of nature. Half a century later, Lyanus was not alone in trying to find a classification system. By 1799, over 50 schemes had been proposed. So he'd been dead for you know, a couple of years. But Lanus' system had two key features which guaranteed its survival. I, like, I love it. It's sort of like the evolution of, of schemes. These schemes themselves have an evolution in history. First of all, Lanus grouped plants according to their sexual organs. That is, plants are the plants involved in reproduction. And it's really interesting that there's a bit of luck there. Secondly, he gave each species a two-part Latin name, uh, such as Lianus borealis, a uh, marsh twin flower uh, of the honeysuckle family, named after the great botanist himself. The first part always refers to the name of the group it belongs to, and the second part of the species name. The system is so powerful and effective that it is adopted by botanists around the world uh, by the end of the century and remained in place ever since. Okay, I'll just give a quick story. I tried to teach it at school and I said, look, it's sort of like your family name first and your individual name next. And then um, the kids all, again, had fun with me. Oh, I've got three dads, well, such and such, such and such, and this incredible complicated family thing just to, to tease me. A Swedish childhood. Now, this should come as no surprise because he was born in Sweden. Carlos Alonis was born in 1707, no change uh, over the page, by the shores of Lake Molken, which is sort of rather um, in southwestern Sweden. Later in life, he recalled it as one of the most beautiful places in Sweden. Vienna, I can't do a Swedish accent, I can't do the Arkea voice. When one sits there in summer and listens to the cuckoo and the song of all the other birds, the chirping, the humming of insects, when one looks at the shining, gaily coloured flowers, one is completely stunned by the incredible resourcefulness of the Creator. Yet at school, young Carolus showed little interest in either botany or theology that his father thought uh, taught to uh, apprentice him in um, as a shoemaker. Fortunately, a perceptive schoolmaster suggested he go to Uppsala University as a medical student. Can I say Uppsala? I went to Uppsala to check out a... Um, oh, this is such a beautiful place. Oh, I just loved it. At Uppsala, uh, so I went there uh, to check out photo-electron distribution spectrometers. At Uppsala, Lanus was immediately captivated by demonstrations performed by the aging botanist Olof Celsius in the university's botanical gardens. Indeed, Lanus' interest became so avid in 1732. When he was 25, he was sent to Uppsala Science Society to gather specimens in Lapland. 
He was, uh, he was thoroughly delighted in what he found there, and his finds included a small white arctic flowerless, Lianus boris, Lianus of the north, borealis, uh, which became his trademark. I love that, isn't that? You know, um, I'm going to have my trademark flower. The most important portraits of him show him wearing the white flower uh, and festooned the traditional items of the Sami people, Sami people of Lapland. His findings they were later published in his book, Flora, Flora Lapanica. Now, there, I think, I can't see the, the um, picture, the flower on him. Cataloging creation. When he returned south, Lannis went to the Netherlands to finish his medical studies. Whilst there, he studied an incredible range of plants in the garden and herbivian at the wealthy banker, George Clifford. Wow. Uh, he also met Peter Aridi, another young enthusiastic naturalist. Together, they conceived a plan to classify all creation. Uh, Aridi was to study the fishes, the lands and animals, and Linus, the birds and plants. Sadly, Aridi fell into the Amsterdam Canal and drowned. So it was left to Linus to continue to predict alone. You, you feel that Linus said, oh God, no, oh, pushed me in. Linus's basic scheme was sketched out in a little pamphlet called Sistina Naturala, which he published in Holland in 1535. Quote, in these few pages, Linus explained, is handled a great analogy uh, which is found between plants and animals in their increase in like measure according to their kind and what I have here simply written I pray may be favorably received mm. plant sex okay if you've got any sort of child in the room put your hands over the ears Pla uh, what Linus was talking about uh, with his talk on the analogy between plants and animals was the sexual nature of plants poor funguses. A few decades before, German botanist Rudolf Camerius had shown that no seed would grow without first being pollinated. Da, 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 da. Then, in 1717, the French botanist Sebastien Vallant uh, lectured on the sexuality of plants using pistachio plants in the Jardin de Rare in Paris to make his point. Vallant took up this, this idea. So the Jardin de Rare is like the original botanical gardens. So it was um, a medicinal garden. So the royals said, oh, I want egg root of something, such and such, such a wild plant. Oh, I've read this. And of course there would be the um, medicine plant. So it's interesting that the royalty is requiring medicines, the royalty is requiring entertainment. In 1729, so who was the uh, Lamarck? It was a very interesting story about the royal gardens. In 1729, Lamarck got to study worms. Poor, poor bastard. In 1729, Linus wrote a paper called Sponsa Plantarium, in which he wrote, The betrothal of plants in which a perfect analogy with animals is concluded. Valiant had talked about his uh, about just the petals when talking about the flower's sexual organs. Linus insisted that the stamens were uh, where the pollen is made, the bridegrooms and the crystals and the seeds uh, were the brides um, uh, that are, are real sexual organs. You can imagine, you can imagine this brimming over. So, to my shock and horror, there's sex in the sky, sex all around. 
bride and bridegrooms taking Ray's idea that the species are basically living things that reproduce together. Linus proceeded to develop a scheme based entirely on sexual equipment of the plants. He divided all flowering plants into 23 classes according to the length and number of their stamens, their male organs, stamens being penises I suppose, uh, which uh, subdivided into orders according to the number of bristles, female organs. It's oh, rather good, isn't it? So you, you launch in a male and then you further substitute female. It's interesting. Um, there was the 24th, the cryptogamia, which included plants like mosses, which appear to have no flowers. They're like crypto, a bit of a clue. Many people were hugely offended by the sexual overtones of Leonis's scheme. Mm. One class he named the Darren, meaning two husbands in one marriage, uh, while he said the Calyx might be regarded as the Labia Majora, or, or the foreskin. Uh, one could regard the Cola as the Labia Minora. Indeed, uh, found in all, uh, some found it also shocking that most, almost a century of botany was not seen by some people as a decent thing for young ladies to be interested in. Mm. Oh dear. Lanus the teacher. Lanus' scheme was simple and practical. Its great beauty was that anyone with just a little training could learn to identify uh, which class of plant belonged to you simply by counting the stamens. You naughty, disgusting man. What are you doing? I'm counting stamens. Oh, what are you? Oh, I'm counting. Oh. Oh, don't actually handle them. I actually do like giving people flowers. Uh, to prove his point uh, to, and to train disciples, Linus would lead enthusiastic plant-spotting hikes through the countryside around Ubersala uh, when he returned there. With groups of up to 300, Linus would roam the fields and the woods, gathering specimens, talking about naughty stuff, before marching back uh, into town accompanied by a band of musicians. Eventually, the rector of the university put a stop to his hikes, feeling they were distracting students from their studies, saying, We see Swedes are sweet, um, serious and slow-witted people. We cannot, like others, unite in pleasurable fun with, um, unite pleasurable fun with serious and useful. But Lyannis was never short of disciples. The Swedish Garden settled Firmly in Uppsala, Linus created his own botanic garden. You naughty, naughty man. Laid out in the same order of his great classification. What a genius. Oh, that is great. I'm going to plant according to my textbook. Oh, beautiful. There he tried to plant specimens and brought to him from around the world. Linus believed that all species of plants had existed in Gog's original Garden of Eden and only become scattered since the fall. So it was a pious act to bring them together. This is the entire thing. Is he a scientist or is he, is he Christian, a, 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 a Christian nutter? Um, Linus also believed that Sweden could cater entirely for its own needs if every economic plant was grown within its borders. Oddly, for such an experienced botanist, he seemed convinced that even tropical plants could survive in Sweden's cool climate. When tender plants perished, he apparently just assumed they were weak specimens. Which sort of, um, I think, says to me about, um, in, you, you set up a, a horrible, horrible school system. And 
you get a few people who are who just don't fit in. They're just rubbish. <laughs> My system is great. It's just a rubbish system. Now, throughout the 1740s, Lionis worked incredibly hard, cataloging plants, uh, species, and fitting them into his scheme. In 15, 1745, he published a complete encyclopedia of the Swedish plants called Flora Suica. As he was working, he began to think about the naming of species. So almost imagine a Disney tune, like this is like a Disney um, star for Snow White or something like that. The two-name system. His solution did not come easily. He wanted names that were accurate and complete, but simple enough for the amateur to use in field traps. He felt amateur botanists could remember a genus uh, a species belonged to, and then perhaps one more element to identify the species when they went home and looked it up. And this gave him the idea of the two-name binomial system. He was tempted to make a second name quite complex and fully descriptive of the species, but then he realised he only needed an easy-to-remember label for the later uh, reference. He resisted at first calling uh, the names trivial. Then, in 1751, he resumed work on his great project to catalogue all the world's plants and made his decision to put the trivial second name, which was uh, which he said was like putting the clapper on a bell. Ugh, look, he can't, he can't, he, can't, he, he just can't help himself, can he? Oh, sleaze. Realising that he was, uh, uh, had to get the names in place before someone else gave plants other names, he gave a binomial label to every known species. In an incredible burst of invention, Lionel succeeded in naming 5,900 plants, this will be several, several an hour, a little more than a year. And in 1753, he published them all in Species Planetarium. With his work on the plant kingdom complete, Lannis turned his attention to the animal kingdom. Can you imagine this cat going, oh shit, oh, dog going, oh, just happy fetching, I didn't really, I'm a dog, I'm not a canis canis or canis domesticus, oh god. Okay, um, he used a classification, quadrupeds, four-legged creatures, but now he realised that more crucial characteristics than four-legs was the presence of the mammary glands for suckling young. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So quadrupeds were replaced by mammals, and the, uh, and the first prime group of mammals were the primates, which include humans, Homo sapiens, wise man, by, uh, by Linus. Um, in New Naughty Man, now this really, of course, the, um, the entire thing, mammals, monotremes, marsupials, are, have only one whole. They don't have any sort of um, female genitalia. It's been amazing. Um, Okay, so Linus published his catalogue of animals with binomial labs in the 10th edition of his System Naturale. By now, Linus had many students who would voyage all over the world to bring him samples. Fight love fawn people. While Linus would sit at home waiting for them to return like an anxious parent. In 1755, he turned down an offer by the King of Spain to come and live at the Spanish court with a very handsome salary. 
1761, he was granted royal patent to make him part of the Swedish nobility, and he's changed his name to Karl von Dien. Three years later, a stroke left him badly weakened, and he died on the 10th, <laughs> the, uh, 10th of January 1778. So what I have to say to you is, you can have as much hanky-panky as you like, but just don't do the royalty bit, that, that will give you a stroke in no time. Lionis's Apostles Throughout the 1740s and 1750s, many of Lionis's best students travelled around the world to investigate and bring back plants from distant lands. These apostles, as Lionis called them, were all young, ardent enthusiasts of Lionis's botany. Quote, true discoverers as comets among the stars. Lionis explained proudly, the only problem for me is that that is such a confused idea that a comet is something to do with the discoverer. Oh, just oh, make me vomit. Uh, their mission was often dangerous, and five of them, and here's the list, uh, I feel like putting a bell, Anders Berlin, Pierre Forstack, Friedrich Hassfis, Pierre Lofting, and Christopher Tarndon never returned. Well, I can tell you there is a problem that you are likely not to return if you've got a diuresis or an umlaut on your um, of your names, which is a problem makes it very problem dangerous if you're a Swedish person. Linus has often reproached himself for sending them on their way, but they were all keen to go, and the plants they brought back uh, or described were hugely enriched Linus's collection. And if they were there, they could actually bring their body back and fertilise them. Peter Klum's trip to North America provided Linus with 90 species of North America's plants, 60 of them entirely new. Peter Olbeck brought 600 specimens back from China. Carl Thurnberg described over 3,000 species in Japan, over 1,000 of which were entirely unknown. Solander joined uh, Captain Cook on the Endeavour uh, on its around the voyage and gave name to 1,200 species and a hundred new genera of plants, plus a host of animals. Oh, I didn't understand that. I didn't realise that, so that he was on the um, the endeavour. But I don't quite understand because he died in. S oh yeah, could could have done. By the time Linus died, it had become a norm for exhibitions around the world to take a botanist with them, culminating, of course, in Charles Darwin's famous voyage, the Beagle, and the riches that he brought back increased scientific knowledge in the natural world immeasurably well but they're going to have a go at trying to say it. so the names person is james hutton who sounds like a, quite a boring person compared to this one thanks a lot for listening another story comes to a close it's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you may you discover truly amazing things understand them and tell others thanks for listening